Welcome to the Community Fellowship Podcast, your way to stay connected with biblically-themed messages, discussions, and interviews from Community Fellowship in East Bernard, Texas. Learn more about our church at the cfeb.church website, check us out on social media at CF East Bernard, or attend an in-person service at 635 Main Street in East Bernard. We are a local church that works to make the love of Christ for all humanity known to our community and the world. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this week's content. All right, so I have a question for you. Uh, If I were to ask you, who is the greatest baseball player of all time? I know that there would probably be... I love it. We already got some hands raised. I love this. Um... There'd probably be a little bit of debate, right? I mean, many of you are probably thinking of the name that is synonymous with baseball over the last hundred years. You're probably thinking of the great Bambino, the Sultan of Swat, Babe Ruth, right? But there's others in here that immediately when I asked that question, you said, well, Pastor, can I ask a question back to your question? Are we talking about hitting? Are we talking about slugging? What are we talking about here? I mean, if we're talking about hitting, then we've got some great hitters who hit over 3,000 hits. That's a pretty remarkable accomplishment. Or are we talking about slugging because there's some sluggers that did some pretty amazing things. Hank Aaron, one of those, right? Beat Babe Ruth's record. So what are we talking about here, Pastor? Or are we talking about pitching? Pitching's a whole different category. Are we talking about ERA? Are we talking about strikeouts, completed games? What are we talking about here, Pastor? We would spend quite a bit of time discussing and debating if we just sat here and did that, right? Well, what I want us to understand as we step into a new series on the book of Hebrews is something very similar to that is actually happening in the church that the Hebrew author is writing to. So what's going on in the book of Hebrews, if you want to turn there, you can. Hebrews chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Well, what's going on in uh, this church is that they are debating whether or not they should go back into their old way of life as Jews, Do we want to go back to the old law, or do we want to continue in this new truth that we've understood about Jesus? Now, here's the thing. They knew completely what the gospel was. It was very clear that the teaching that they had received was that the gospel was that they were saved through grace, by faith, in Christ. They knew that, that that was alone for salvation, but there's something in them that wanted to go back, and so the author of Hebrews is just bewildered that they want to go back to this. And so he writes this whole letter. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is going to be encouragement and that we're going to see he keeps on trying to point their hearts back to the fact that Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than anything in the Old Testament. He's better than the law. He's better than Moses. He's better than the angels. And we're going to see that as we go through this in the next few weeks. This is exactly what's going on. But this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to show you two ways that Jesus actually reveals God better than what was revealed in the Old Testament, than what was revealed in the Old Testament, okay? So a few weeks ago, because I wanted to be a good East Bernard guy, I went over to Creative Impressions. I walked in, and I tried to get uh, all of the East Bernard swag that I could for the very first pep rally, right? I wanted to look official. I wanted to look legit. Uh, So I got my hat. I got my t-shirt. Now, as I'm perusing through uh, the t-shirt aisles and then the racks in there, 
I came across this, this shirt that I almost got. I was super close to getting. And it said, warning, pastor alert, what you can and say, what you, what you say can and will be used in a sermon. <laughs> what I'm realizing more and more as, I'm, as I continue to lead you guys is that I'm responsible for where we're going, the direction that we're heading, what we're going to talk about, what we're going to study together, even addressing things that I see for us as a congregation that we need to talk about. And so I just want to admit something very selfishly to you this morning. We're doing Hebrews because it's my favorite book in the New Testament. Okay? It is my favorite book in the New Testament. But that doesn't mean that it's not riddled with a whole bunch of concerns. Now, here, here's a couple of the concerns. Many pastors will refuse to actually do the book of Hebrews. They won't preach on it. If they do, they'll kind of take a couple of texts and they'll put it into another sermon series they're doing. They don't like to tackle the book of Hebrews. Here's why. Because we have no idea who the author is and we have no idea who the audience is. We don't know who this book was actually written to. We know what was going on in the church, but we don't know which church it was, and we don't know who wrote it. There's lots of different theories on who wrote it. If you want my theory, you can come and ask me later, okay? But there's lots of different theories on who wrote this. So this is kind of riddled. That's why they stay away from it. And on top of that, there are more Old Testament citations in this letter in the New Testament than any other New Testament letter. So you're always having to flip back to the Old Testament. You're always having to recall that. You're always having to look at it. What does this mean? Why is he saying this, right? So they'll stay away from it for that very reason. But I think that if we'll stick with it, I think it'll be really beneficial. In fact, I love how one commentator put it. William Lane, he says this. He says of Hebrews, it's the most difficult book in the entire New Testament. Great, Pastor James. Thank you so much for that. But... If you'll press into it, it's one of the most rewarding books. And I believe that's going to be true for us. There is a lot of heavy theology in it, and I'm hoping that we can break it down because this is the core of who we are as Christians, the things that the book of Hebrews talks about, the author is going to mention, this is core to who we are. So I'm hoping that we can really hang in there. Now, what I do want you to know as we kind of are addressing this for the next few weeks, what I do want you to know is I want you to know about the author. Again, I told you, we don't know who it is, but here's something that we can see from the text. He is super familiar with Greek language. In fact, sometimes, this is why most people don't think it's Paul, is because he uses language that's almost verging on poetic. It's that beautiful how he writes it, okay? So that's the first thing. We have to understand he is very familiar with Greek language. The second thing that we need to keep in mind is that he also is most definitely of Jewish heritage. He is definitely a Hebrew person himself because of the fact the way that he refers to the Old Testament passages and the way that he cites it over and over again, it's clear that he has to be from Hebrew lineage. Okay, so with all that said, kind of given that as some context, let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. Please grab one of those because I made a pastor mistake. My um, message notes are not going to be on the screen for some reason. They did not get transferred over to the other computer when I thought that they were uploading into the cloud. Wonderful technology. So we're going to have to be together in the scriptures this morning, all right? So make sure you've got your Bible open. It's also a sneaky way to make sure you get your Bibles open. All right, so Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1, okay? In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. 
The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Okay, so right from the very beginning, what I want you to see is before the author even addresses who he is, which by the way, he doesn't do that, but that's very common. It was supposed to, that's usually what you did when you wrote a letter at that time. You would actually say, you know, this is so-and-so speaking to you. He doesn't do that. But before he does any of that kind of stuff, he just goes straight into some stuff that I want for us to see, okay? So the first thing he says, he says, in the past, God spoke. We're just going to stop because those five words have a ton for us to understand. There's a lot to unpack in those first five words. In fact, I told Pastor James at the Baptist Church that I was speaking on Hebrews, and he goes, man, you're just going to preach on just the first five words, right? And I said, actually, I almost am, man, because there's so much in there, all right? So in those first five words, here's what I need for you to see, what I want you to see, okay? So it says, in the past. Now, here's what's important. We kind of talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at Peter's message, when he addresses the crowd there on the day of Pentecost. We talked about how he says the last days, so we need to understand that Jews, they saw time divided in two different eras. There was the past, they're super creative with these names, by the way, the past and the last days. Super creative, okay? But the past is anything before the Messiah's arrival. And the last days is anything after the Messiah's arrival. So when the author of Hebrews says, in these last days, what he's saying is he's saying you Hebrew people, you are in the time of the Messiah, okay? Which they should know because they've been taught the gospel, but this is what he's saying first of all, okay? The next thing that I want for us to make sure that we see is that he doesn't question the existence of God. In the past, God. Now, you guys, I'm sure you're familiar. You remember Genesis 1-1. What is Genesis 1-1, right? You remember this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? So, the author of Hebrews does the same thing that the author of Genesis, Moses, does. He doesn't question the existence of God. He says, in the past, God. God was there. Just like Moses says, in the beginning, God. God was there. There's no question of that. He's there, okay? So in the past, God. But here's the next part that we just got to stop for a second and look at. Because this is super important and we need to understand. In the past, God spoke. See, here's the thing that we have to understand. God is a revealer. God reveals himself to us. God wants to be known. God wants to be known. And there's two primary ways that God reveals himself. And these are theologians have kind of come up with these names, all right? We're going to look at those two. The first one is general revelation. Now, when we talk about general revelation, this is like Psalm 19, when the psalmist says, the heavens declare the glory of God, okay? And it's also in Romans 1, whenever Paul speaks, and Paul says this, he says, uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen. So here's what this means. Here's what this means. We can see God through creation. There are truths that are revealed about who God is through creation, by just merely observing creation. Now, I want to kind of look at a couple so that we can kind of understand this a little bit better, right? So the first one that we can see is that in the immensity of God's glory and creativity. So let's just take a step back. Because we live in East Bernard, and we can see stars, 
It's beautiful whenever you step outside and you can just see all those stars. But knowing that those stars represent billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies, and that there is a God who created all of that. That shows just how amazingly glorious he is. He's incredibly glorious. The other thing is that we can see God's wisdom. Did you know that in your body there are 60,000 blood vessels? Every single one of those blood vessels is precisely placed so that your body can function. How incredible is the wisdom of God that he put every single one of your blood vessels exactly where it was supposed to be. Now, finally, in creation, we see that God is a God of order. He's a God of order. I'm going to confess something, and I hope this isn't too harsh. Um, I'm always amazed by people who believe in evolution, like the evolutionary theory, but at the same time, love scientific method. Let me explain why. This doesn't make sense to me, okay? Because because evolutionary uh, theory says that everything was random. Everything came about because of random con- you know, consequences, all kind of, nothing, nothing you know, planned it, nothing created, nothing gave it order and structure. It all just happened randomly, right? But the scientific method, science, by its very definition, is the study or observation of things. We observe these things, right? And as we observe these things, then we can take down and we can note. Now, just think about this for a second. If it's completely random, there's no order to it, what in the world are we going to observe that we can conclusively say, this is true? There can't be any truth because everything is random. So you don't know that if you're observing something in nature, if it really is that way or if it's going to be completely random the next time. There's no reason for the scientific method to actually work unless there's a creator who created it with order. And that's exactly what we see. God is a God of order. Okay. Now, the second category of revelation is called special revelation. So we have general revelation. God reveals himself through creation and nature. And then we have special revelation. Special revelation is this idea. It's that God intervenes outside of creation or in creation even to reveal himself. God wants to reveal himself. For example, over and over and again in the Old Testament is what we see. We see God speak to Joseph through dreams. We see God speak to Moses through the burning bush. We see God, you know, even use a fleece for Gideon to speak to him. We see even God use a donkey to talk to Balaam. So God can literally go into creation and he can reveal what he wants to reveal to people. Now, what we have to understand, though, is that God reveals what he wants to reveal. This is the crazy part. There are still mysteries to who God is. As much revelation as we have, as we've seen in the Old Testament and specifically in the New Testament, we're going to get to in a minute, God is still part mystery to us. And he will be until we get to glory with him. That's when we'll finally see what right now we can only see a little bit of. Right? He's still a complete mystery, which is beautiful that he's a mystery. Okay. So, Here's what the author of Hebrews says. That while God's revealed himself in the past in these ways, like we talked about, through a donkey, through a burning bush, through all these different ways, right? Here's what he says. He says, now God has made his final revelation about who he is in Jesus. Maybe a better way to put that is that he's 
completed his revelation. His revelation is finished in Jesus. Jesus is the final work of revelation. All we need to know about who God is is seen in Jesus. Now, I know it may not look like it now, um, but when I was younger, I was a little bit of a hothead. Okay, I had a little bit of a temper, and I was quite argumentative. Um, and I just remember there being time after time again where my parents, after they have already told me, just stop talking, be quiet, right? That they would ask this question, and maybe you're familiar with it. Why do you always have to have the last word to which I would respond? I don't. See, here's the thing. Jesus is the last word about God. He's the final say. Everything until now has led to Jesus. All of the Old Testament prophets, everything that was spoken to and through them is about Jesus. The whole Bible is about him. Now, here's one of the things that we do in church that, um, honestly, I think we sometimes need to catch ourselves, okay? Because, and I've done this before too, sometimes I'll put myself in the character of the Old Testament, right? Maybe you've done this, like, or maybe even somebody said this to you, like, you need to have the faith of Abraham, or you need to have, you know, you need to slay your giants like David slayed giants, right? And again, I've done that before. I love David. He's one of my favorite Old Testament people, right? And sometimes we put ourselves in there, but here's the problem. It's not about us. The scripture isn't about us. The scripture is about Jesus. So instead of us thinking about it, it's about us, I would love for us, listen to what Tim Keller says. Just listen to how he puts it, okay? Jesus is the truer and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is now imputed to us. Jesus was the truer and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was actually sacrificed for us. Jesus is the truer and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserved so that we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace to wake us up and discipline us. Jesus is the truer and better Joseph, who sits at the right hand of the king and forgives those who betrayed him and uses his new power to save them. Jesus is the truer and better Moses, who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the truer and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer who intercedes for his stupid friends. Jesus is the truer and better David whose victory became ours, even though we never lifted a stone to help him. He's the truer and better Samson, crushed under the weight of the wicked world to conquer our enemies and save us. He's the truer and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. He's the real Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain, so that the angel of death can pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, the true bread. In the end, the Bible's really not all about you. It's all about him. Everything is pointing to Jesus. He's the point of the book. That's why God is most fully revealed in and through Jesus. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. I want to look at the descriptions that the author of Hebrews gives here in these first two chapters to see how he reveals who God is, okay? So let's go back to the, the passage. Verse two, first one, he is the heir of all things. 
So an heir is obviously completely different than a servant. While those uh, prophets in the Old Testament were servants, they were doing what the master had asked them to do, Jesus is actually the son. He's the son. Now, let's say you have a friend whose father passes away, unfortunately. And so they tell you, hey, we're going we're gonna to be going through all of our dad's stuff. He's got some stuff in the attic. He's got some stuff um, you know, in storage that we're going to go through, and we're going we're gonna to have an estate sale, so we've got to clear through some of this stuff. Let's say you come over with a bag, and you just start putting stuff into the bag, right? You're walking through, oh, I like that. Oh, that looks really nice. I'll take some of that, right? Now, I don't care how much your friend loves you and how good of a friend you are to them. They're probably going to ask you a question. What in the world are you doing? That belongs to me, right? Because they are the heir. They are the child to which that all passes to. Jesus is that son. Jesus is the son of God. He's not a son. He's not one of a few sons. He's the legitimate heir and rightful ruler of everything that belongs to God because it belongs to him. The next thing the author says, through him all things were made. This means that those billions of galaxies that we talked about earlier, Jesus made that. It was created through him. In fact, I love what Paul says. He says that it was by him, through him, and in him that all things were made. Which logically, of course, means that Jesus, if Jesus is the creator of all things, and we see God's glory in creation, then Jesus shares that glory with God, which is, again, what the author of Hebrew goes into, right? Look at the next statement. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. Okay? Now, now he's really going to get down to it in verse 3. Okay? So look at that next line. The exact representation of his, that's God's, being. Jesus is God. Now, here's the idea that this is conveying when it says the exact representation. Um, back in New Testament times, if you were a leader, um, or if you were a king, what they would do whenever they were writing a letter is that they would have it dictated most, most of the time. They'd have a scribe that was writing it, probably in a little bit better penmanship. I wish I had one of those sometimes. Um, they were writing it down, right? And then they would roll up the parchment, and they would put a, wax, a little piece of wax on there. And then what they would do is they would take their ring. It's called a signet ring. The ring had, usually had the initials or some kind of picture of the individual, the leader, and they would stamp it into that seal so that when you received the letter, you knew who it was from. There was no doubt about it because that imprint was the ring that only that leader had, okay? And so that's exactly what the author of Hebrews is saying about Jesus. Jesus is the imprint of God. You can't separate the two. He's, he's the imprint of the ring, God's ring, right? So he is God. So the author says, not only is everything made by him, but everything is held together by Jesus' word. I love how Pastor J.D. Greer says it. Prophets and angels gave the word of God, but Jesus is the word of God. Love that. Now, we're going to come back to the second part of verse 3 in a minute, but I want to keep on looking at this last line. He's greater than the angels. So most Jews, they believed that angels were part of the giving of the law in the Old Testament. So when Moses received the laws uh, on Mount Sinai, 
They believe that the angels helped deliver that. So when the author of Hebrews says he's greater than the angels, he's saying Jesus is greater than the giving of the law, which by default, Jesus is greater than the law. He's greater than the law, okay? So what are we supposed to understand from all of these different descriptions? What is the author trying to say? Here's what he's trying to make abundantly clear to his listeners. Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. He's greater than anything that's come before. He trumps it. And listen to this. Nothing can more clearly communicate or reveal the truth about someone's character than that person themselves. And Jesus is that person. He reveals God because he is God. Jesus said so himself. John 14. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then in John 10, he says again, I and my Father are one. So here's what the author of Hebrews is trying to say. If he's the best expression of God, if he is God himself, why in the world, Hebrew audience, do you want to go back to anything lesser? Why do you want to go back to try to do something that you couldn't do in the first place? Why are you trying to go back underneath the law? You couldn't follow it in the first place. Why in the world do you want to go back to that? Jesus is better. Stick with Jesus. Stick with him. So the first way that we see that Jesus reveals God better is that he is actually God. He's fully God, okay? Now let's quickly, let's look at the second way. Flip over to chapter 2 with me of Hebrews, and we're going to start in verse 6, and we're just going to do this real quick. Hebrews 2, verse 6. But there's a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So not only is Jesus fully God, but the author of Hebrews says he's fully man. He's actually quoting a psalm from the Old Testament to try to help us understand. He's fulfilling this prophetic passage in the fact that Jesus lowered himself and made himself a man. I love how Paul says it in Philippians 2. I'll read it to you, okay? Philippians 2, starting in verse 6. Speaking of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus submitted himself to becoming human. He humbled himself. He had the glory of God, but instead he took that glory off and he put on flesh like you and me, the incarnation of Jesus. He became fully human. And over these next few weeks, we're going to see how important him becoming fully human is for us because he becomes our great high priest. And here's, here's what can give us so much um, just encouragement is this truth that Jesus became like us 
so that he could understand everything we go through and experience. In other words, here's what Jesus can understand. He knows exactly what it's like to feel the weightiness and sadness of losing someone you love to the sting of death. He knows exactly what it feels like to have a close friend betray him. He knows exactly what it feels like to have people lie about him. He even knows, as verse 18 there in chapter 2 says, what it feels like to be tempted. But most importantly, most importantly, he knows the firsthand pain of death. The author says, because he suffered death, so by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. See, Jesus became human so that he might die the death that we were supposed to die. He suffered the agony of all of our sins punishment through the floggings and the nail piercings on the cross. He knows the pain of death that those who believe, us in this room who believe, will never have to experience that kind of pain. I told you that we're going to come back to chapter 1, verse 3. You see, the God of the universe, creator of the galaxies, became a human being so that he could complete what the prophets had been telling from the Old Testament on was going to happen. He became the ultimate sacrifice to completely purify us, as verse 3 says, from our sins. That's his whole reason for living, to die in our place, his righteousness for our unrighteousness, his life for ours. Some of you, you walked in here this morning and sin has been telling you that you are not worthy of the love of God. You're not, you're not enough. That sin keeps you away from God. It's telling you a lie. You think it has the final word. It doesn't. Jesus has the final word. Some of you, you've walked in and somebody else is saying something to you. They're telling you you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not enough. Can I tell you something? None of us are. None of us are enough. But here's the beauty. Jesus, the Son of God, came, became one of us to die in our place. And his word is final. Jesus is the final word. So please, this morning, don't leave. If, if, if you have not made Jesus the Lord, if you've not made Jesus the final word over your sin, over your life, then please don't leave this morning without talking to Pastor Ronald or to me. We want to we walk you through that. Or if you're believing those lies that someone else is saying something about you, come to us. We'd love to pray over you. We'd love to talk with you this morning and, and, and help you coach and coach you through not believing that lie, but trusting in what God says about you. Can I pray over us this morning? Father God, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he became like us. That he died the death that we were supposed to die so that, God, now we can live with you forever. We thank you for the truth that he is God. And right now, he's right beside you at your right hand. Father, I pray that as we go over these next few weeks of the book of Hebrews, God, that you would challenge us. God, that you would fortify us. 
that would strengthen our convictions and the deepest parts of theology of who you are as our God. Father, finally, I just ask that there is anyone here, God, that hasn't trusted in what Jesus has done, they're trying to do it on their own. God, that you wouldn't let them leave without talking to someone about that. I pray this in Jesus' name. If you have questions about this week's message or would like to start a conversation with someone about what it means to walk with Christ, please email pastor at cfeb.church. You can find earlier episodes of our podcast on our website at cfeb.church, where you can also give online to help support community fellowship in our mission to reflect and share Christ's love. We can also be found on many major distribution platforms like Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe to stay connected. Thank you again for listening. Now go out and love one another like Jesus did.